You know, sometimes I tend to uh, think about whether it was a good day or not based on the fact of whether things went the way I thought they should. But, you know, I believe things always go the way that God allowed them to. And so we can we can rest in that fact. Um, why don't we stand and take your song sheet and let's sing our song again. He's the oak and I'm the ivy. He's the oak and I'm the ivy. He's the potter and the clay. He's the oil and I'm the vessel. I'm the traveler and he's the way. I'm the flower and he's the fragrance. I'm the lamp and he's the flame. He's the words and I'm the music. I'm the bride who takes his name. Very well, you may be seated. For our precious promise verse tonight, turn to Isaiah chapter 26. Isaiah chapter 26. And it's verse 3. Does anybody remember the verse from last evening? Can anyone quote that for us? It's a popular verse. If not, that's okay. Sometimes I have to think, now which one was last evening? And uh, But thou wilt keep it. I'm sorry, this is tonight. See, I'm already on the wrong one. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. So, um... Alrighty, tonight Isaiah 26 verse 3 says, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. Let's read that together tonight. Isaiah 26 verse 3, together. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. I'm, I'm kind of a slow learner, but I'm, I'm, I'm slowly learning and starting to understand more that if our trust is in anything other than God, there's not much to trust in. Um, we can put our trust in our business in our money, in our health, uh, whatever it might be. But, you know, we could wake up some morning. We live in, a, I believe we live in, in fascinating times and in, in very changing times. We may talk about that sometime later this week. I don't know. But, you know, we could wake up some morning and our money be worth nothing. We really could. It's it's not backed by much now. It's almost monopoly money, right? And we think, oh, not not in America. <clears throat> yeah, you know, I'm not saying we will, but if we woke up tomorrow morning and and our money was worth nothing except for heating the house and the wood stove, some of us could burn for quite a while, maybe, huh? But uh, how how would my trust be? Could I honestly say I'd rather have Jesus than anything? 
You know, I don't think that would be easy for any of us here tonight. Um, a while back with the instruction class, I told him, I said, you know, I said, we were talking about, you know, maybe someday God will ask us to give our life for him or something. <clears throat> and I said, that's okay. But I said, you know, let's not let's not worry or focus on how would I be able to die for God or would I be willing? You know, I said, let's focus on living for him. okay? because if we focus on living for him, then he'll show us how to die for him. Does that make sense? We don't focus on, well, would I be able to, you know, I know sometimes those things go through our mind. But I believe that if I am willing to live for him, I'll be willing to die for him, too. Right. That's what Paul said. For me to live is, uh, uh, for me to live is gain. Uh, I'm sorry. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. And so, <clears throat> I want to focus my life on living for Him, being surrendered to Him, and then I believe He will show me how to die for Him if I need to physically. And so. I challenge you with that tonight. We want to continue on a little bit more tonight. We were talking about the kingdom last evening. And and we kind of stopped with the fact that the man bought the field. And because he knew that there was this priceless treasure in there. And it says that that he was willing to, to sell everything that he had so that he could buy that field because he knew that in that field was that priceless treasure. Okay? And I believe Christ is talking about the kingdom of God there. He's talking about the plan of salvation. And um, tonight we want to go a little bit deeper into that. And we're not going to be able to cover it all tonight. But you know, there's, there's this big debate about uh, grace, faith, works. How, how does that all come together? And um, and how important is all of that that we understand that? And we want to talk about some of that tonight. You know, the Bible, um, any of you here, I'm sure you've heard of a paradox before. Do you know what a paradox is? It, uh, a paradox is something that it kind of seems like it's contradictive and it kind of, it, it kind of says something, but it kind of doesn't end up quite being what you think that it's saying. You know, it's almost kind of contradictive, but the Bible has number, uh, quite a few paradoxes in it, not because it's contradictive, but, um, but because of different things that the, the, the Word of God says. And you know, the kingdom of God, we looked at that sheet the, last evening of the works of the flesh, and then we have the Spirit here, and how different the two kingdoms are. And so, as we think about the two kingdoms being so vastly different, People that are of the kingdom of this world cannot understand the things that be of the kingdom of God. And we're going to talk about this, Lord willing, a little bit later. But there are secrets and there are mysteries in the kingdom of God that the, that the, that the unregenerated mind cannot comprehend, okay? There, there is. There's secrets and there's mysteries. It's not that they can't understand but it's because their eyes have, their heart has not been enlightened and their eyes have not been opened. It's not that God is trying to hide them from them, but unless we come to God and allow Him to show us those things, we cannot see or understand them. Okay? So for some, it's a mystery. For those 
who are of the family of God. Sure, we don't understand everything, but we understand them in a much greater way. So there are secrets and there's mysteries in the kingdom of God that only God's people can see. You know, sometimes I have said, told my wife, I said, you, can't they see? And she said, I don't think they can, honey. How many of you here can say that in the last ten years of your walk with God that God hasn't shown you things that you've never seen before? Right? I hope none of us can say, haven't learned anything new. No, God, God reveals things to His people. He doesn't reveal new truth. Truth has already been... This is truth, okay? But he, he helps us to understand the truth in better ways. Does that make sense? He opens it up to us so that, that we can, can understand it. And, you know, the Bible has paradoxes. Um, if, if you, you were, most of us here tonight, probably not all of us, but a lot of us have been born in Christian homes. And, and we've heard a lot of things, but think about if you would never have heard the gospel before and someone said to you, the last will be first and the first last. Would you say, oh, well, yeah. That's You'd say, what? You know? Um, you see, uh, that doesn't, that, that's a paradox. What did, what did Christ mean when he said, you know, the first will be last and the last will be first? We're kind of like, well, that doesn't make sense. And it doesn't. To the natural man. You know, think about this. If you had never had any training and you knew nothing about the power and the kingdom of God, I believe that God's Word instructs us as parents to discipline our children in love, to spank them sometimes in love, and to show them the way. But think about if you'd never have known the Word of God and somebody would tell you, you know, you, know, you shouldn't let your child hit you like that. You need to spank your child to teach him not to hit. And they'd say, well, wait a minute, that, that doesn't make sense. But we know from the kingdom of God's sake that when we do those things in the right way, in the proper way, they make all kinds of sense. But to a man of the world, it's like, what? That, that doesn't make sense. You know, Jesus said, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. And He said, I'll give you rest. But then He said, if any man will be my disciple, if he doesn't hate his father and his mother, I say, wait a minute. Almost seems like there's a contradiction. No, the Bible does not contradict. The plan of salvation is so free to all of us, and yet it costs us everything. Now, how do you explain that to a non-believer? That it's free, but yet... It cost us everything. A while back I read a story and I thought um, this illustrated a paradox pretty well. There was a missionary who was in a foreign land and he had decided that he wanted to go up the mountain. It was several miles up this mountain and um, it was several thousand feet of elevation up the mountain. And he had decided that... um, he would make this, this trip up there. It had to be on foot. And he was alone. And there was an old rustic lodge up there that missionaries and things would go to. And they would go up there and it would be a time of refreshment and 
fellowship and time alone with God and, and all those types of things. And so um, he had, it was a several hour journey, a several mile journey up these windy trails going up through the mountains. And so he started off down from the village and he was kind of in a little bit of a hurry because he knew that it was going to take him most of the day to reach the lodge. Okay, and so he took off, and, and as he was, uh, I believe even as he began to climb and, and to elevate, and by noon he was about maybe four or five thousand feet of elevation, he was, he had, he had reached, uh, fairly high up already, and it, it, it was raining, it began to rain. And it was raining, and, and, um, and he hadn't come prepared for rain, and this thought began to come to his mind, he thought, you know, as I as I go up to high, I haven't come prepared for snow and different things. But he knew as he, until he before he, if it continued to rain that before he reached the elevation of the lodge that it would turn into snow. And he thought, wow, I don't know for sure how this is going to all work out. I didn't come really. I just have this cloak on and and um, I didn't really come prepared to make a journey in a in a snowstorm and and and. So he stopped a little bit and he, 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 he continued to pray to God to give him strength and be able to continue on. And he stopped for a few moments and he ate some, um, some quick things that he had for lunch. And he soon began to continue on because he knew that the snow was going to come and that nighttime was going to come and he needed to reach that lodge. And he went on a little, the missionary went on a little bit farther as he was walking and, um, and he came across a monk that was also traveling up to the lodge to spend some time there. And so they decided that, well, let's walk together. So they decided that they would walk up the mountainside together. And so they, they, they both decided that, you know, we must not waste much time in talking. We need to keep moving because we know it's going to turn to snow and, and we have to gain our elevation and get there before nightfall if all possible. And so they continued on and sure enough it began to snow. And it was snowing and they, and they wrapped their cloak around each other. And, um, and, and they continued to climb and as it was hustling on, they rounded the bend in one area, or however it was, and the missionary thought he heard a noise, a voice. And he thought that voice said, help. So he stopped, and he went over to the side of the road, and there was this man. He said, help me. He was covered with snow. He said, help me. He said, I fell off from that ledge up there. And he said, I broke my ankle. He said, I can't put any weight on it. He said, you got to help me. The missionary said, sure. He said, we will help you. And he looked at the monk, hoping that the monk would say yes. He looked at the monk and he said, we will help him. And the monk looked at him and he said, no. He said, you and I both know that it's going to be, it's almost iffy if we make the lodge ourselves. We're not dressed for this storm. And he said, we both know that unless we keep going, that none of us will make it. So the monk said, I'm going on. So the monk turned and continued his path on up to the rustic lodge at the top of the mountain. The missionary was there and he thought, man, there's no way I can just leave this man here. Fortunately, the man was kind of a 
smaller, slender man. And after some time, the missionary said, there's only one thing I can do. So he took off his cloak. He bent down. And he had this man with the broken ankle get on his back. And then they somehow worked the cloak over the top of both of them. This slow, this very much slowed the missionary down. And so he trudged up the mountainside through the elevations and over the swinging bridges and over the canyons and, and all these different things. And the snow was coming down and, and he continued to trudge on for several hours like this, carrying that man on his back to the point of exhaustion. And he, he could hardly go anymore. And he was almost to the point of despair of just giving up and saying, I can't do it. But just about at the time that he got to that point where he was just about ready to give up, he could look up the mountain and he could see the light of that old rustic lodge. And he knew that he was close enough that there's no way that he could stop now. And so he continued on. And he continued trudging up that trail. And as he trudged up that trail, suddenly he stumbled across something in the path. And he stumbled, he was hurrying, and he kind of stumbled, and the sun was going down, it was almost getting dark, and he had to keep going, but he thought, what was that? And so he laid the injured man down, and he said, don't worry, I'm going to be coming back, or I just want to go back and check what was in the trail there. So he goes back, and he look, and he goes back to where he thought he had tripped, and sure enough, there it was laying right in the trail, the body of the man. He quickly bent down and felt his pulse, and he was gone. The monk had not made the journey. He had frozen to death, and there he lay, dead on the trail. So the missionary, he goes back to the, to the man that was injured and puts him back up on his back, and, and they continue up, and they make it to the lodge. And, you know, the missionary began to think about this story. And he thought, you know, that's, the paradox. that's a paradox of God's Word, isn't it? He said, that monk decided, I'm going to save my life, but I decided that I'm going to give my life, and we're going to do this together. And, you know, he began to think about this. He thought, you know, the monk was all alone and he froze to death. And he said, as I trudged up that mountainside carrying that injured man, the heat of both of us kept me alive and kept me going. And he said, you know, that's the paradox of what Christ said. You know, if we try to save our life, we will lose it. But if we're willing to lose our life, we will save it. Now, in that case... It saved his life physically, but I think Christ was talking about something much greater than that, wasn't he? He was talking about spiritually. If we try to save our lives, we're going to lose it. But if we're willing to say, Lord, my life is yours, and I'm willing to give my life to you, I want to ask you this question to see me. Would you be willing to tell God tonight, anytime, any place, anywhere, I'm yours.
You know, it's kind of easy to sit in a church service amongst brethren and in an emotional time and say, oh yes, Lord. Anytime, any place, anywhere. But think about that. We sing songs like, all of Jesus I surrender, all of him I freely give. You know? Hmm. I'm just going to be honest with you. Sometimes I wrestle with telling God that and really meaning it. How about you? This means yes, this means no. I do. In my heart I want to and there's times that I'm like, yes, Lord. But you know, sometimes I waver and I think, ah. But you know what Jesus said? If you try to save your life, you'll lose it. But if you lose your life, you'll gain it. What safer place to be than right where God wants you to be? But oh, that's so easy to say. But sometimes I wrestle with that fact. Take your Bibles. Turn to Matthew chapter 7. Um, we, be, we talked about a couple of these things just briefly last night, but I want to go a little farther on this. Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. And it says this. It says, Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. We touched on this a little bit last night, but I want to touch on this in a little greater way tonight, okay? I said last night that we talk about that narrow way, but the narrow way does not begin after we go through the cross. The narrow way, it says, it isn't that... Um, um, I don't know that it's so hard that people find the narrow way, but I think often they miss the narrow way that enters into life eternal. Okay? At the cross, the narrow way, the straight gate, the narrow gate. It's not very big. And the Bible says, few there be that find it. Now, I don't know what few means, but Jesus said, few there be that find it. Um... In Noah's day, that was eight. I, I believe that it's much more than that today. But I believe that not near as many people have found the narrow way into the cross as what believe that they have. And sometimes in our own churches. Because the results and the actions of their life does not show that they lost their will at the cross. Okay? It doesn't show that they have found that narrow way. And see, the reason why it's small is, is because in order to enter it, I have to give up everything. I have to die to myself. I have to give myself up. I have to say, Lord, anytime, any place, anywhere, I am yours. You see, it's so much more than just saying a prayer. Yes, I understand that confessing with our mouth and believing in our heart that God and we shall be saved. I understand that. But Jesus also said, count the cost. Okay? Count the cost. We often want people to say the prayer and then tell them to count the cost. 
But Jesus said, count the cost first. He said, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. But he said, it's going to cost you your will. It's going to cost you what you think. It's going to cost you what you desire. But what I will give you in return is so much greater than what you have to give up. One time I got a call about 2 o'clock in the morning. And man was on the other end of the phone and he said, I disagreed with what you said in the message. He said, I don't believe that there's a cost to follow Christ. I said, well, brother, I disagree with you because the word of God says there is. Have you counted the cost? Hans Dinka, an Anabaptist of years ago, he said, There is no other way to be blessed than to lose one's self will. You know, I think about that sometimes. Do you ever find yourself looking into God's Word and, and you read it and you're convicted? But you start to reason and you start to think, uh, Lord, uh, is there is there some other way? Is there, you know, is there uh, is there some other way? How many of you here tonight have ever been around a child that's two, three, four, five years old, and they haven't been trained? And I mean, they are. And they are smart aleck and, you know, and, and you're 40 years old. And they come up to you and they look you in the face and they say, you don't know a thing and I know it all. I tell you what, there's something. That, I don't know what righteous indignation is, but, you know, sometimes there's something that kind of rises up inside of me that uh, probably crosses the line of godliness. But, but, you know, uh, you know, and I tend to think, you know, who are you to tell me, you know, okay, think about this. Think about you trying to tell God a better way. <laughs> if you think, if you think that, wow, this little five-year-old kid that has no training is trying to tell me. What do you think God must feel like when this 40-some-year-old person comes to God and says, God, I think you missed it on this one. This is a better way. You know? What do you think God thinks about that? Well, I know what He thinks about it. He thinks you can think that way, but it doesn't change it. You know, it's sort of like the time when, when the elephant, he was trotting down the trail and he's coming to this bridge and there was a gnat that flew up. And it landed on his back. And, and people were kind of watching. And they thought, wow, 
when this elephant comes up there and he goes across this bridge, it's going to shake. And the elephant comes up there and he runs across the bridge. And after they cross it, the gnat says, wow, didn't we make that bridge shake? You know? And sometimes it's how it is we are with God. You know, here's God. He's the elephant running down. I don't mean that in a disrespectful way, but just in the type and shadow there. You know, he's this, he's this elephant running down the trail and crossing the bridge. And we kind of jump on his back and hold on for dear life. And we shake the bridge and we say, wow. We even, sometimes we don't even say we. We say, wow. Well, that was good, wasn't it? I really shook the bridge on that. God help us. Take your Bibles again and turn to Ephesians. Tonight I want to I want us to ponder on the fact that our salvation is a gift from God. It's free. <coughs> But when we take that gift, responsibility comes along with it. But I didn't receive the gift because I did the responsibility first. I took on the responsibility because I received the gift. Does that make sense to you tonight? This means yes, this means no. Does that make sense to you tonight? Okay. Let's read these verses and we want to talk about this a little bit. Ephesians chapter 2. And we're just going to read uh, verses 1 to 10. We're not going to speak on all of them. but And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, where in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of, of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lusts of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy, for His great love wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ by our works. Right? Is that what it says? It says, no, by grace ye are saved. And hath raised us up together and made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that is, in the ages to come, he might show the exceedingly riches of his grace and his kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Which comes first tonight? Salvation or works? Say it. Which one? Salvation. And sometimes I believe we wrestle with that fact that, that our salvation is free. And then some people wrestle with the fact that since it's free, I can just take it and accept it and do whatever I want and the grace of God will cover me. No! 
That is not at all what the Word of God says. But we have to get this first initial step. By grace are you saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. I thought about that when I was studying. And I thought, you know what, that's right. If I could save myself, I would probably boast. And so would you. Do you think you would? I think you would. We'd sort of be like that. Wow. You know? But God knew that. He created us. He said, man, you know, he said, we got to make it so obvious, you know. I don't know what he was thinking, but he made it so obvious. That by grace are you saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. You see, I didn't become saved because I did good works. I started to do good works because I was saved. Does that make sense tonight? You see, Paul said, my righteousness is as filthy rags. And I know we're, we're walking a fine line because we, the, people, the world has been so adulterated by it's just grace. But it is by through grace by faith that we are brought into the kingdom. And if I try to do that in any other way, I don't enter the kingdom. It says, if I try to climb over the wall, if I try to do this, if I try to do that, I become a thief and a robber. I read an, an article a while back that I thought uh, read, made this so clear to me in my mind. And I want to I want to relay this story to you, and um, it's kind of a little comical in some ways, but yes, I, yet I think it it so much illustrates the gift of God. And um, Steve was a young man that was in a university, and actually it was a seminary. And Steve had issues. Brother Chris was a professor at the university. And Brother Chris had a reputation that he would take anybody into his class who was being an issue. It was a seminary and they still had people there giving issues, right? Yeah. So, um, Brother Steve had been kicked out of class. And um, so they came to Brother Chris and they said, Chris, would you be willing to take Steve into your class? Brother Chris said, yeah, as long as he eats to what I say. So Brother Steve, or Steve comes in, Brother Chris sits down and said, listen, my class, my room, my rules, you follow. He said, number one thing you follow is, he said, when it's time to be the class, you're to be the class. Sure enough, seconds before the class, here comes Steve flying in, pops down on the back row. 
This goes on for a few days. He's, he's making it in time, but just, just, ah, just barely. He sat back there so cocky, so whatever. One day after class was over, Brother Chris says, Steve, I want to talk to you a little bit. Steve stopped at his desk and he said, Brother Chris says, Steve, you think you're really something, don't you? He said, yeah, I do. He said, Steve, how many push-ups can you do? He said, um, oh, I don't know. He said, you know, I I go home at night. He said, there's time to do 200. So he comes to, to Sue, the first one in the row. And he says, Sue, would you like a donut? She said, yes, Brother Chris, I would love to have a donut. He said, Chris, get down and do 10 push-ups. Chris jumps out of the seat. He pops off. 10 of them, jumps back in the seat. Gives the donut. Goes on up to Joe. He says, Joe, would you like a donut? He says, yes, sir. Yes, I would, Professor. I would. He says, Steve, get down on the floor and do 10 push-ups. So he does 10 push-ups and jumps back up, gets into his seat. And he goes, he goes through the first row. Comes to the second row. And here sits, here sits Chad. Chad, he's pretty tough fellow. He's, he's the quarterback of the football team. And he's the center of the basketball team. He's a pretty tough guy. Professor Chris says, Chad, would you like a donut? And Chad says, yeah, I would like a donut. But he said, I'm going to do my own. My class, 
So he goes down through here. He's through 30 students, through 32. Steve is, I mean, he is sweating. There's sweat dripping off him on the floor. And he's laboring to do these push-ups. I mean, he is, he is just about spent. He can't hardly go anymore. And there's two girls left, popular girls in the school. And he comes to the first one and he says, Would you like a donut? And she says, No, I don't want it. Tears are running down her cheeks. She said, I don't want a donut. He said, That doesn't matter, Steve. Do 10 push ups. And he said, Here's your donut. You can do with it whatever you want. He comes to the 34th student. And it's a girl. And she too has tears running down her cheeks. Help me with 
Some of them ate him. Some of them may have let him sit there. Some of them may have thrown it in the trash. As they walked out. But Professor Chris said, listen class. The reason why I did this illustration for you today is to show you the fact that the plan of salvation that there is nothing that you can do except to receive it because it's already been done. He said, I would challenge you to take that donut and pick it up. And he said, I want you to take that donut and eat it like it's the love of God for you. He said, I want you to understand the love of God for you and what He did for you. He said, I want you to take that donut. He said, he said, I want you to take that donut. And he said, I want you to eat it. He said, I want you to eat every crumb of it. He said, I want you to lick your fingers off. He said, I want you to experience every piece of that donut because that is the love of God for you. And whether you want to eat it or not, it's your choice, but God's done it for you. And the responsibility that you have is to accept it. You know, and as I read that story, I thought, oh, that is exactly an illustration of for by grace are you saved through faith and not of of works lest any man should boast. Do you think think Chad went out of that room with his donut and he said, look what I got. He said, how did you get that? Oh, well, I didn't. Brothers and sisters, tonight, I don't want you to have a shadow of doubt tonight that by grace are you saved through faith. And it's not of yourself, not of works, lest any man should boast. But I also don't want you to leave tonight without knowing. That even though the donut is there on the desk, even though the plan is on the desk, before you eat it, you have a responsibility to decide. Am I willing to take upon me the responsibility of that love? When Jesus said, if any man will come after me, He must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me daily.
You see, when we come to the cross and we want to enter the narrow way, that is where our will is broken. It's not broken down the road. Now, God continues to show us things and we continue to grow and sometimes we have to have our will broken again and again and again. But the ultimate beginning is when we enter the kingdom of God and our wills are broken. And we say, yes, Lord, I'm willing to do whatever You want me to do. I remember the time when God was working in my life and I wasn't living for God like I should have been. And I remember as I was dating my girlfriend and God began to work in my life. And I didn't know for sure what my girlfriend would say, but I finally got to the point that one night I said, God, I said, I'll go with you all the way. I'll go with you all the way. I said, if my girlfriend doesn't, that's okay. I'll just break up. But I said, God, I'm going to go with you all the way. With time, I talked with my girlfriend about that. And ultimately, she said, no, that's what I want to. And she's my wife with me today. But, you know, I had to come to the point that I said, God, I will go with you. One more illustration. Turn with me quickly to Matthew chapter 27. Are you content in Christ tonight? Or are you sort of like that dog we were talking about last night that, oh, he, he can't get the cat because he's on the chain. But I tell you what, if you would unhook him for a chain for a moment, he would be right on it. Are you content in Christ tonight? Are you, are you feeding at the still waters and... and Laying down in the pasture and chewing your cud like that sheep did and, and, and in tune with God. I want to compare this because we want to take this and step onto it to the next messages that we're going to have, Lord willing, or at least some. Matthew chapter 27. We're going to break in... Um, Farther on down, we don't have time tonight to go through all this. But this is, this is when Jesus Christ was on the cross, okay? And um, I wish we had a little more time to go through this tonight, but we're not going to take that time. But, you know, I, I don't believe that we understand to the greatest extent, first of all, what Christ left to come down to this earth to be a man. And then... As he went, as he came to Calvary, and you know, we we have these pictures in our houses of of Jesus hanging on the cross, okay, and uh, and and he's got this little crown of thorns on. There's a little bit of blood running down. There's a couple stripes on him. Um, 
you know, there's there's a little spike in each hand and, and through the foot and there's a little bit of blood trickling down. Do you know the Bible says that his visage was so changed and marred that you could not recognize him? It was much more than just doing 340 push-ups or just 10 push-ups for you and I. It says as He hung there on that cross. Can you imagine that? I'm not here tonight to glory in the cross necessarily or the, or the pain or the suffering. I'm here to worship the man tonight who died on that cross. But do you know, as He hung on that cross for you and I, the love that He had for us. And as He hung on that cross, and um, you know, some people worship the cross Some people will worship the agony on the cross. Well, to brothers and sisters tonight, I want to worship the man who died on the cross, okay? That's who I want to worship. And I know that because of His love for me, and I know because He loved me so much that He was willing to die for me. And it tells me in, 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 in God's Word that they, 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 they mocked Him. They, hit, they put a crown of thorns on His head. They drove those thorns down into His head. And they probably went down into His eyes and into His ears and into His head. And the blood ran down. It's, they plucked off His beard. They slapped Him. They spit upon Him. They, they scourged Him. And you know, the Jews had a thing, the 30, 40 minus 1. Well, the Jews didn't scourge Him. It was the Romans. And I tend to believe that they did it without mercy. I believe that they chewed His skin up. And it says the people would die from scourgings. It would, it would show the ribs on their back. And those, those bloodthirsty Roman soldiers, as they took my blessed Lord and they beat Him and they, they scourged Him, and they mocked Him. And then they took Him out to Calvary. And, and they hung Him on the cross of Calvary. You know, I, 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 I like to think about this a little bit. I believe that when they took those two thieves, I think they fought. I think they swore. I think they spit. They did everything. It probably took six, eight, ten men to hold them down on that cross to, to drive those spikes in. But brothers and sisters, tonight, when my Jesus, when it came time for the cross, however they did it, whether they laid Him down or whatever, I believe that He walked up there and He laid His hand down. And He looked up with blood covering His whole body. And I think He looked up with those eyes of love. Maybe He said, So that I could experience life eternal. Now let's read here in Matthew chapter 27, verse 39. This is one Jesus is on the cross. 
And they that passed by reviled him, wagging their heads and saying, Thou that destroyest the temple and buildest in three days, save thyself if thou be the Son of God. Come down from the cross. Likewise also the chief priest mocking him, the scribes and the elders saying, He saved others, himself he cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross and we will believe. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now. If he will have him, for he said, I am the son of God. And the thieves also which were crucified with him cast the same in his teeth. We're going to stop reading there for tonight. But I want you to get a real vivid picture before you go home. I want you to picture Jesus Christ up here on the cross, wherever you want to be, right up here on the cross. His body is beaten. His body is torn. In fact, it says that if you had just walked up and seen him, you would have said, who is he? Because you couldn't recognize him. Could you imagine standing at the foot of the cross And as Christ looks down with those eyes of love and he connects with my eyes, he connects with your eyes. There's blood. There's manglement. He's dying. It says that they wag their heads. Could you imagine standing at the foot of the cross, seeing our Lord and Savior, our Savior hanging on the cross? Could you imagine if you looked down and you said, Terry, I'm doing this for you because I love you? In return, would you be willing to give up everything? I mean, I, I, I mean, I, 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 I really appreciate what what you're doing for me, but I'm not for sure that you know I could would be willing to to give up everything. Have you ever been in those situations where you walked away and you said, "No, Lord," you didn't say, "No, Lord." Imagine standing at the foot of the cross and looking into those eyes of love. And he would say, Terry, would you be willing to forgive everyone? If you imagine saying, no. Would you be willing, Terry, to go any place, anywhere? Imagine looking into those eyes and saying, No. I, I mean, now don't get me wrong, I love you and, and I really appreciate what you're doing for me, but no. Not there. Not that person. Not that thing. Not that.
I believe that's what we do when God speaks to us and He says, can I have everything? And we say, no. We look into those eyes of love and we tell in a figurative way, we tell, we, we tell Mr. Steve, who did the push-ups for us, I'll just leave the donut on the desk. I don't want anything to do with it. Brothers and sisters, tonight, our salvation is free, but it cost Him everything. And tonight, if you want to enter in through the narrow way, it will cost you everything. Oh, God's not going to necessarily take everything away from you, but you will have to say, Lord, I'm yours. Anytime, any place, anywhere, anything, anytime, anything, any place, Lord, I'm yours. You know, and, and the devil stands there and he says, Oh, you don't want to say that because what if he asks you to uh, whatever it might be? You know, the only way when Jesus said, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The only way we can experience that rest, the only way His yoke becomes easy is when we say, Yes, Lord, I'll do it. Don't let Satan... You know, we got this big fear that, that sometimes Satan wants us to think that God's out to just make life miserable for us. You know who's out to make your life miserable? Satan, the devil. God's out to give our life peace and joy and rest. Is it yes, Lord, in everything in your life tonight? Every attitude, every thought, every motive, every intent of the heart, every place you go, everything you look at, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Remember, if you try to save your life, you will lose it. But he who loses his life, and he says, for my name's sake, will find it. I challenge you tonight. Let's stand together for prayer. Father, tonight we have looked into